All right. Shabbat shalom. Awesome. Uh, We are going to pick up where we left off in our last message. If you remember, we began to look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is obviously a story that the writer Jude, he has brought to the table uh, for purpose. He has a reason to do this. And what he's looking to do is he's he's looking to radically uh, awaken our spiritual senses. He's looking to awaken us to the reality that there is another side to God than what most believers are recognizing or even willing to recognize. In other words, we we can talk about how God is a God of love, and it's beautiful to, to be in that camp. That's where we need to be. But he's also a God of justice. We can talk about how God is a God of chesed. He's a God of mercy, loving kindness. But he's also a God of wrath. Very, very important. You know, it's easy as a believer, and I, 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 can, I'm, I can tell you from my own personal experience, it's so much easier to gravitate towards those attributes that we really want, that we enjoy, that we like that help us, that are beautiful. And we tend to abandon the other attributes. We've got to accept the whole counsel of God. We have to accept his whole character and recognize these things. And this is exactly what Jude is doing. Jude is coming to the table. He's bringing this. He's awakening you to this reality that God is a God of justice. He is a God of judgment and it's coming. And if we do not take heed to that, We're going to end up just like the inhabitants of Sodom. We're going to be taken out. And so we're going to continue to dig into this story today. We're going to finish this story out. And, you know, there are so many many precious nuggets of truth. There's so much here on a prophetic level and even on a relevant level for us right now where we can take the things that we're learning and apply them to our lives right now. There's so much there that we want to extract, that we want to draw out. And so we're going to do that today. And and I really think if you pay attention today, it's going to develop you. It is going to develop your faith in a really powerful way. And so with that said, with no further ado, let's break in to verse 9. This is kind of where we left off last time. And this is what we read. And they said, this is the inhabitants of Sodom, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. Again, and we talked about this a little bit, but it came to a head. Everything came to a head right here. You have the inhabitants of of, of Sodom. They're looking to pervert and to know carnally these angelic beings who literally have stood in the presence of the living God and seen him in his infinite glory, and these inhabitants want to pervert them. They want to pervert themselves with an abominable act. It's absolutely awful. But then it gets even crazier when Lot comes in and attempts to bring moral clarity to this situation, says, my brothers, don't do so. Don't commit such wickedness. Then they turn on him. That's when they turn on him. And you, you got to understand the environment. The environment is such, judgment is looming, it is at the door. And what is the behavior of society at that time? The behavior of society is total wickedness, total contempt for the word of God, 
hatred for his morality, for the biblical principles. They want nothing to do with it. They become intolerant of Christians. They become intolerant of those that cling to the faith, just as we see here. See, this is what you can expect when you, when you know judgment is at the door. Now, all you got to do, as I mentioned before, look out your front window. Go out your front window, open up your computer, start navigating, start looking for different articles that exist. And what you will see is, is that there's, there's, there's a burning hatred for Christians right now. There's a hatred for the word of God. There's a hatred for people. I just read this article yesterday uh, from one of the Ivy League professors coming out and demonizing homeschoolers because they believe in Christian principles and there's an overlap between homeschoolers and Christianity. This stuff is going to continue. Do you know why? Because judgment is at the door. I am telling you, I cannot preach this enough. That's how soon we know God has left us this. You remember what the rabbis say, Ma'aseh avot siman lebanim. The deeds of the fathers, they're assigned for the children. You need to take heed to these things. You need to recognize these things exist so you know where you're at. This is where we're at today. I'm pushing forward, breaking new ground. We read this in verse 10. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot uh, into the house with them and shut the door, and they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness. Listen to this. Both small and great. This is amazing. So that they became weary in trying to find the door. Mind-blowing. Because, you know, what I would expect to see when God pours out his plague upon the people, one second I can see, next second none of us can see, what you would think is they would drop to their knees and go, oh God, I know not what I do. I know not what I do. Have mercy upon me. These men are so committed to diabolical evil that even after receiving of this plague, they didn't stop in pursuing their evil pursuits. How does, I mean, try to process that. That's the kind of evil that is going to exist before the Lord returns, before judgment is poured out. And I'm going to tell you right now, look at this and study it closely because this behavior, this atmosphere exists in our country today. No question about it. We can't kill enough babies. You can't offer enough on the altar of Baal. I mean, the things that we're seeing, we cannot, I mean, the sexual immorality that exists in the world right now, there's no boundaries anymore. Absolutely, it's talk about out of control. It's insane. And all they want is more, more depravity. We're in the doldrums of depravity right now. This is the environment I would expect to see right before God pours out his wrath. Scary. Moving on to verse 12, we read this. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in this city. Look at this. Take them out of this place. Get out. Where have you heard that before? Revelation 18.4, come out of her, my people lest you share in her sins and receive of her plagues. That is a prophetic call. The same call we see here in Genesis is the same call that exists in Revelation. Absolutely amazing. And notice, this is not just about Lot. This is so amazing. Because what you're seeing here, again, I tell you, this is the gospel that brings salvation. 
The angels are coming to Lot with a message. And it's not from their, their point of view. It's not their own opinion. These angels are bringing the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And he is telling them what they need to do to be saved. It's the gospel coming in. And notice, in addition to that, not just about Lot, it is about his loved ones. Moms and dads, listen to me carefully. These angels with the word of the Lord knew judgment was looming. It was going to happen. And Lot, as a father, was commanded, go get your sons and go get your daughters. Because it's coming. And I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have any more time. This is not the time for mom and dad to sit back and go, well, you know what? My kids just haven't listened to me over the past years. Well, you know, Daniel, if, if, I come and t- if I come and talk to my kids, all that happens is I just push them further away. I'm telling you right now, listen to what these angels are saying. Listen to the word of the Lord, because this is where we're at right now. Go get them. There is no more time. There is an urgency to the gospel, especially when you see the depravity that is ensuing in this nation and around the world. You have to move. You have to go. Stop trusting in your own abilities. Stop worrying about, well, you're going to say it wrong. You're going to do this wrong. Pray. Go in the Holy Spirit. God can do this. But you have to move. You have to act. I can't stress that enough. Because what I don't want to see is us to lose our loved ones. We don't want that. Verse 13. For we will destroy this place. Well, now they're given a motivation. You want some motivation, Lot? Here it is. Everything's going to be destroyed. Because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Pure and simple. This is the motivation. Judgment is coming. See, what teeth does the gospel have without judgment? None. It doesn't. I mean, when you come and say to me, well, you know, Jesus loves you. And he died on the cross for your sins. And? Well, your sins. You know, you, you got to have your sins forgiven. And? Well, what, who cares? What does it matter? It matters because of this. Because this is what's coming. Judgment is coming. All sinners are going to be destroyed. And if, unless you get right with Yeshua, unless you confess your sin, there is no hope. Unless you get out of Sodom, there is no hope. And so this, you want to talk about a relevant message? This is relevant for us today. And this is the proclamation. You know, and I look at this. This thing is woven throughout the tapestry of Scripture. Genesis to Revelation. The Lord is taking the time, chapter after chapter, book after book, to warn you that this judgment is on its way. There's supposed to be some motivation here. The terror of the Lord is supposed to be inside of us. And it gets us to overcome, gives us the strength to overcome our flesh and our fleshly desires. I want to give you an example. One of my favorites is Isaiah 13, verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? Judgment. Judgment is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. Oh, and they will be afraid. So, you know, it's interesting to me because I can look out and I can pan out and I can see Mankind, humanity dripping with arrogance and pride and foolishness, that's going to change in a moment. They're going to be terrified. 
They will be afraid. Pains and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel. It is cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he will destroy its sinners from it. This is the exact same message that the angels just brought to Lot. I kid you not, it is the gospel. This is the warning. This was the message that John the Baptist brought in his ministry. What was his ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First words in Yeshua's ministry were, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning judgment. It's coming. You've got to turn now. You've got to get out of Sodom. You've got to get out of Babylon. You've got to get out. There's one thing here I want to highlight that is going to take this on a much take you to a much deeper level of understanding. And that is this. Behold, the day of the Lord, the Lord comes with both wrath and fierce anger. You know, many some time ago, I don't even know how long ago, I can I, I can remember thinking that. The Lord opened up his word to me in such a way that I, was, I stood back and I'm like, man, I have a one-dimensional view of judgment. I have a very one-dimensional view of judgment. In the sense, my depth of understanding, it just wasn't there. there, there I'm clear on the fact, oh, hey, judgment's coming. But I didn't really understand it. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean. The Lord showed me judgment is a symptom. Judgment's a symptom a symptom of what? God's anger. That opened up a whole new world for me. Or give me a better understanding what judgment is about. God's anger. When God gets angry, he lays everything waste. Now think about that, because what I do know is like, this is tangible for each and every one of you. How many of you have seen men get angry? And It's uncontrolled. It's unleashed anger. What happens when men are given over to anger? People get hurt. People die. Where do you think murder comes from? Murder comes from anger. What happens when the all-powerful, omnipotent becomes enraged and consumed with anger? And actually, it's interesting because the Torah talks about the Lord as a raging inferno. He's an all-consuming fire. What happens when the Lord lights up? Everyone dies. That's what happens. I mean, you want to talk about giving me perspective on the judgment. It's so much deeper when now it's it's personalized. There's a character of God that I'm recognizing. He is mad. He is so angry. And this is what's so scary. When he unleashes that anger, who can help? Nobody can help. Let me take this a step further. We read in Psalm 7:11, we read this, God is a just judge. Again, an attribute we, we, we typically don't think about, but like even in the reading of the Ten Commandments today, you will find that reality there where, you know, he shows mercies to thousands of them who love him and keep his commandments. We read that, beautiful. But then it says, by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. In other words, what it's saying is, 
is a just God. Right within the Ten Commandments, you have God being portrayed as a merciful God, and you have him being portrayed as a just God. This is what we have. Well, the psalmist goes on and says this, God is angry with the wicked every day. See, this is, this is so important that we have this perspective because those Christians that are right now practicing sin, they're in some form of addiction, whatever that may be. They're constantly stumbling. They're stumbling over and over, not realizing God is getting angry. He is angry with the wicked every day. That makes a difference in how I view my relationship with the Lord. We're making him angry. In fact, Psalm 5, 5, you go back just a couple of chapters, it says he hates all workers of iniquity. I, I don't want that side of God. I don't want to see that side of God. See, what the devil wants to convince you is this, oh no, God doesn't hate you. You can continue to sin, it's okay. And that it, it, the devil is attempting to mask the reality that he is fuming. He's getting to the point of feeling. Now, this is not to say, hey, because you stumbled, that, all right, the Lord is turned into a raging inferno. No, no, he holds back. He holds back because he is merciful. But make no mistake, you continue to rebel against him. And we have so many examples we could talk about and have talked about. This is the side of God that you're going to see. His anger, which leads to total destruction. Destruction is the symptom of his anger. And then it goes on and says, if he does not turn back, so if you do not repent, he will sharpen a sword, he bends his bow, he makes it ready, he also prepares for himself, oh, instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Is this the God we know? He's making instruments of death while you are wallowing in your sin. Do not be deceived. This is happening. If you think you're going to claim and, and profess the holy name of Yeshua, you're going to confess that before men, but you're going to continue to walk in iniquity? You think you're going to view porn a little privately on your computer when nobody's watching? I'm telling you right now, the Lord is sharpening his sword. He is making instruments of death for you. Now you might say, well, Daniel, that's very Old Testament. I will hold on a second. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Go to the church at Thyatira. And, and Yeshua, this is Yeshua, he comes out and he says, I know, that, I know Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. She is teaching. She's seducing my servants to commit sexual immorality, teaching them to eat things that are unclean, things that have been offered to idols. You know what it says? If she does not repent, I will cast her into a sickbed and I will kill her children with death. Yeshua is literally saying, guess what? I'm preparing for war against you. I am making instruments of death. If you do not turn back, this is what's going to happen. I'm coming. All those who cater to the, deception, the deceitful teaching that you can live like hell and inherit heaven, I'm coming for you. Now this is a spiritual awakening. It's through teachings like this that the, that the great revival began, the first great awakening. Guys like Jonathan Edwards in 1741 coming on and preaching sinners in the hands of a angry God. Angry God. This is what took men out of sin. This is what brought them to their knees. This is what gave men a real prayer life to know the reality, a reality that the devil doesn't want you to know. Because the devil, this is the same lie that he told Eve in the garden. No, it doesn't matter that you sit. You're okay. You don't got to worry about it. You will surely not die. You're fine. You can continue in this. 
No, you can't. You cannot do it. And so, follow the logic here, the biblical logic. We have judgment, which is a symptom of God's anger. But now it begs the question, why is God angry? Sin. See, sin produces God to be in a raging inferno, which will lead to judgment. Stop the process. Stop it altogether and run from sin. Turn back to him. Repent. He is a merciful and loving God. He is faithful. Now, continuing on in our story, in verse 14, we read this. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Ah, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so these angels, follow this. The angels brought the word of the Lord. They brought the gospel that brings salvation to Lot. What did Lot do when he received the word? He is now bringing it to others. He's telling them exactly what he was told. He is sharing the word of the Lord with his sons-in-law now. Giving the opportunity here, receive salvation. You can be spared. The only problem is, is this. My clicker doesn't work. That's the problem. It doesn't say that. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. He delivers the message of salvation, which he himself readily accepted. He believed it. It was truth. But now he goes and brings it to his sons-in-law. They think, are you kidding? You're nuts. They don't believe it. You see, his sons-in-law, they can go out and they can look at what's going on. And they're going to say, "Ah, really, Lot? I don't see anything. You know what? Today looks just like yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. I don't see any evidence of this judgment. Do you know know what these sons-in-law don't believe? They don't believe in the message. They don't believe in the word of the Lord. Do you know what they don't believe? They don't believe that Sodom is going to be called into account for their sins. That is what they don't believe. And this is exactly what the inhabitants of this country and even throughout the world do not believe today. There's so many that don't believe none of this is going to be called into account. It's absolutely terrifying to see what's going on. To see that I'm not reading a history lesson anymore. I'm living this. I'm walking this. I am a part of the story of Sodom right now, just as you are. We look at Psalm 10, verse 13, powerful psalm. Why did the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. Do you understand why people continue to go on in rebellion? They don't believe there's going to be any repercussions. It isn't going to matter. Again, going back to the garden, this was the problem. Eve did not believe that God would require an account. Oh, why? Because Satan told her. He told her, you will surely not die. Nothing's going to happen just because you eat of a tree. You're actually, I'm going to tell you, Eve, you're going to be enhanced. You're going to be enlightened. It's this type of deception that we are wallowing in right now in this country. It's unbelievable. And this is what I should expect to see if, in fact, we're living in the generation of Sodom. As we are. It's painful. I mean, this, this is where your heartstrings start to be tugged, and this is where you begin to moan over the things that are going on. 
And we need to be like Lot. We need to believe as Lot believed. Lot believed the word of the Lord with no reservation. There was no doubting at all. He doesn't come to the sons-in-law as he's talking to them and say, well, you know what? And I've heard people preach the gospel like this. It makes me bananas. Well, you know what? You, you may not actually believe this, but wouldn't you want to just err on the side of caution? Why don't you just humor me and just why don't you come out of the city for a while and do this? Does Lot present that message? No, he presents the word of the Lord. Hell is coming. Get out. It's really simple. He doesn't have to massage it. He just has to speak the truth. They don't believe it. They don't believe it. Continuing on, verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. Now, you got to look at this. What's being expressed right here is, remember, there's four people now. Sons-in-law don't believe they're not coming. But now you have four people. You have Lot and his wife, and you have the two daughters. How many angels do you have? You have two angels. Literally, what you see is the first angel grabs Lot in, in his wife's hand. He's got two arms. He grabs their hands personally, leads them out. The second angel grabs one arm of each daughter. In other words, what you literally see, this prophetic insight, is you have the angels of God escorting this family to safety, to salvation. And this is exactly what we read in Matthew 24. As Yeshua teaches us, he says, And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. The angels are coming to get you. The angels are coming, just as they did with Lot. This amazing prophetic story. See, here's the beauty. This is kind of the silver lining today. This is not all about doom and gloom. There's hope. There's hope. This is what we look forward to. We look forward to the angels coming out of heaven. Can you imagine what this is going to appear to be like? As they burst forth out of heaven, the inhabitants are terrified out of their mind, and the angels start coming and getting the elect, and they are also, Matthew 13, are going for the unclean, for the wicked, to cast them into hell. That is an amazing thought. Now going back to 16, let's finish this out. And while Lot lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters. Listen to this. The Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. It's actually in the text. The fact that Lot was spared, the fact that he's taken out of Sodom, was the mercy of God. Lot experienced mercy. Well, wait a second. Why, why does Lot get to experience this graciousness, the grace of God, and all the other inhabitants are absolutely destroyed? Well, Peter takes up the cause in, his, in our companion epistle, right? The very same message that Jude is preaching, Peter preaches in 2 Peter. And I want to take you there to show you this because Peter articulates this in an absolutely incredible way, telling us this is exactly why Lot was spared. But he says, in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterward live ungodly. We're actually going to get into that deeper, uh, Lord willing, next week. But moving on to verse 7. 
and delivered righteous Lot, something we've talked about. Here Peter identifies him as righteous, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, oh, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. You know, he references Lot three times, all things established on the testimony two or three, references Lot three times as righteous. And then he proceeds to tell us why. Why Lot would be spared. Yes, he was righteous, but notice there's a characteristic that Peter hones in on here. And what is that? He couldn't handle sin. He couldn't palate it. It was awful. It tormented his righteous soul. Now, I, I bring this up because I'm telling you right now, if you're not in agony, if you're not tormented over the things that are happening right now, all the sin that is being committed, all the immorality that we see with our own eyes that is happening, you are as dead as they come. You are spiritually dead. There is no life in you. Something is wrong. Something is dramatically wrong because we can go throughout scripture. The Psalms do an amazing job. The psalmist in Psalm 19, I see the treacherous and I am disgusted because they don't keep your word. Something should be happening on the inside. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling, you will grieve the things that are taking place as Peter er, talks about uh, Lot grieving. We need to be like Lot. This is why Lot was spared. Let me build on this, and I want to take you to the book of Enoch, since Jude has such an affinity for this book. He speaks to this very thing. We read this. And the wisdom of the Lord of spirits hath revealed him, and it's it's a messianic passage that refers to the Son of Man, the Mashiach, who we know to be Yeshua, to the holy and righteous. For he hath preserved, and no pun intended here, but the lot of the righteous. Okay? He's preserved the lot of the righteous. Why? Well, this is what's interesting. We learn this. Because they have hated and despised this world of unrighteousness and have hated all its works and ways in the name of the Lord of Spirits. It's disgusting. See, when the righteous look out on the world today, all they see is Satan has vomited his filth and uncleanness all over the place and they see mankind licking it up. It's disgusting. It has to be repulsive. If sin is not repulsive, you need to get the Holy Spirit. You need to get saved. You need to get right with Yeshua. You need to call upon his name. You need to confess your sin and say, Lord, I know I'm not right. I'm not, I don't have your heart. Lot had the Lord's heart. The agony that the Lord feels over sin, Lot felt that. We need to have that. Take you to the Apocrypha. The wisdom of Solomon or some people just refer to it as the book of wisdom, says this, wisdom rescued a righteous man. I want to be clear. This is not a general statement of righteous people. This is explicitly about Lot. That's very important. What, and this is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, this was written long before. We're talking mid-first century BC. Long before Peter wrote his words, and yet Peter writes the exact same thing. Uh, some, would, some would consider that Peter might be borrowing from the Apocrypha. Point being is, wisdom rescued a righteous man. In other words, Lot heeded the Lord's voice. He heeded counsel. He heeded wisdom. And that's what saved him. And we know this because he could have behaved just like his sons-in-law. Think this is a joke. What a joke. I don't see any evidence 
of, you know, us going to be called into account for our sin, I don't see any evidence of judgment, I'm not going to listen. Lot could have took that path. Oh, he believed every word. He heeded wisdom and it saved him. That's what it will do for us. I love this. Hosea 10, 12, one of my favorites. Whoever sows righteousness will reap mercy. This is why Lot received mercy. He sowed righteousness. And again, don't let the devil deceive you. You will reap what you sow. You want to sow uncleanness? You want to sow idolatry? You want to sow covetousness in your life? You want to chase after the things of the world? You want to, you want to cave to fear, to the fear of the world? Don't expect to inherit heaven. Don't expect that he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's going to be, you were a faithless servant. You did not believe. You didn't believe judgment was coming. You did not believe that. You paid no attention to my anger. As you committed sin, day after day after day, I was getting angry. I was was sharpening my sword. But you didn't hear. Verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your lives. See, the word of the Lord, run for your lives. See, you, you think of Paul's words in, in 2 Corinthians. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? None. Run. Get out of Sodom. Get out of Babylon. Save your life. And this is what's being communicated here. It is the word of the Lord. I, I love you know this, again, Thinking of Psalm 119, I thought about my ways and I did not delay. I made haste to keep your commandments. He moves to keep the commandments. He hears the word and he goes. Now look at what the angel says next. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Don't do it. Don't be a dog that returns to its vomit. You don't get to come into the gospel, get baptized in the name of Yeshua, and you get, you get to turn your head back and go, I, I kind of want to go do the things of the world again. I kind of want to do at least some of the things that I used to do. I want to go, you know, there's parts of my old life that I want back. You're dead. You cannot do it. Yeshua says in Luke chapter 9, at the end of the chapter, he actually says, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back, it's not fit for the kingdom of God. Cannot happen. And then he says this, how prophetically significant, escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Isn't this interesting? Let me share a passage with you from the book of Enoch. I didn't put it up here. But when you read the book of Enoch, Enoch is given a vision of the kingdom of God. Mind-blowing at the imagery that is used and what he saw. Do you know what he saw? He saw mountains. He saw seven mountains I mean, in your mind, you're thinking menorah. But the seventh one, the middle one, was higher than the rest. And right within there, Enoch recognized that it's the throne of God. It's, it's this mountain. And so you see this imagery that's being used in, in this story, escape to the mountains. This is where we're going to be going. This is where the angels intend to take us, to Shemaim. To escape the judgment of God. And, and that's why Isaiah 26, come hide yourselves, my children. A little while until the wrath is passed. That's what's coming. Now, dropping down to verse 24, we read this. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens, and he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all its inhabitants of the cities. And what grew on the ground? Everything was destroyed. Nothing was left. 
Nothing. God's anger. He is angry and nobody survived. But guess what? But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife yearned. She was missing. See, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Her eyes went to where her heart was. Her eyes were not on the word of the Lord, on the promises of the Lord, on the truth of the Lord, which would have led her out to the mountains. No, her eyes turned back to Sodom. And I think about us today. How many of you, you know, that um, I love Psalm 101. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Nothing wicked will come before my eyes. If the lamp of the body is the eye, if the, if the eye is good, well, the whole body is going to be full of light. And so she turned back. She longed for the things of the world. Again, I warn you, if you have that hunger in your heart, you're yearning for the things of the world, you are going to be turned to salt. You do not want to do that. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his ways. Don't look back. Yeah, it's amazing. The eyes are so telling of an individual and who they are, where they're at. I want to close in Luke 17. These are the words of Yeshua. He says, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. In other words, there was no sign. The wicked had no sign that judgment would come. They're eating, they're drinking, they're giving a marriage. Everything is continuing as it always had. The only way you would have known is if you believed the word of the Lord. Faith. If you had faith, then you can see clearly. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Amen? Verse 30. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day. In other words, you better study the, the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah because this is what it's about. It's going to tell you how it's going to be at the end of the age. And that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And others have no affinity for the things of the world. When you're given the message of the gospel, unless you forsake all that you have, you cannot be his disciple. Leave it all behind. You, you ever notice something interesting when Yeshua is calling the disciples? Peter and Andrew, James and John, and they're fishermen. Go back and read it in the Gospel of Matthew. He goes and calls them. They drop their nets, and they're gone. No looking back at all, immediately following him. Do you have that kind of faith? Because that's the kind of faith it's going to take to make it. I think of Ezekiel 14. It says, when a nation sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand. I will bring famine against that land. I will cut off man. There's going to be great violence. And I will cut off beast. Total judgment, total devastation. And then it goes on to say, but even if these three men were there, Noah, Daniel, and Job, they would only deliver themselves by their righteousness. That's it. By their righteousness. And it's not saying their righteousness in and of themselves. It's they're saying that we have chosen to follow the living God of Israel. And we will hold the line. And so, and continue finish the rest of this passage. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. He can't look back. And then Yeshua says this, remember Lot's wife. The one thing he isolates, he centers in on, 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 on the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember her, remember what she did. Whoever seeks to save his life is going to lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. 
You cannot love your life to the death in this age. You cannot. Don't do it. Don't love your life. It will be the death of you. And so whatever you're hanging on into the world right now, because I am telling you, we are in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment is at the door. It is time for you to go get your children. It's time for you to get your house in order. It is time for you to get your your heart in order and to get right with the Lord. It has to happen now. Today, if you'll hear his voice, don't rebel. Don't harden your heart. Don't lie. Don't receive deception saying, you know, I'm okay. It's fine. You're not okay. None of us are okay when we're wallowing sin having the Lord sharpen his sword in the background and pretending that we're going to inherit heaven when we're going to hell. This is the message that we need to heed. 